On today's episode of the Trial Run Podcast, the MLB playoffs are in full swing, the Browns are in way over their head, I refuse to get hyped up about the Lions, and the NCAA is running amok and they need to be stopped. You'll get all of that and more on the Trial Run Podcast. Let's go. We are back and better than ever. This is the Trial Run Podcast coming off a week hiatus of technical difficulties that'll that'll all fall on Brennan's shoulders directly. His computer is acting a damn fool. I'm sorry, what was your computer doing? Yeah, see that's irrelevant because we always record on his computer. He has that responsibility and uh, I'm going to blame his inability to fix his own computer. That's why we missed last week. Te- technical difficulties for sure, but it did us a positive. And it did us a solid because we have lots and lots to talk about this week. Starting, of course, with the most beautiful thing in October, the MLB, the Major League Baseball playoffs. And there's a lot happening right now. Starting with... I already... Wait, can I just say I already disagree with that statement? With the, the best on. thing of October? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're just wrong, but that's fine. Okay. The, Ast- <laughs> the Astros, the Houston Astros surviving a Game 5 in the ALDS, beating the... Tampa Bay Rays, I believe, 6-1 to one yesterday. The Dodgers, of course, everybody saw what happened to them, what happened to Clayton Kershaw in the eighth inning, giving up two consecutive home runs, essentially losing them the game, bouncing them out, uh, premature, a premature exit for sure after making the, the World Series for the last couple of years. Not a whole lot going on outside of that, but those are the two major storylines that we've seen, and that's, that's quite enough in my opinion. Oh, I agree. That's quite enough baseball in my opinion, so we will talk about that for a bit, and I want to get your initial opinion on what we saw this past week, what transpired, all these Game 5s, and everything that has happened thus far. Well, as you know, baseball is not my area of expertise. I leave that mostly to you, but I can say that I've been pulling for the Astros because... That one man, I can't even remember his name anymore. He's a big conglomerate within the mattress community, apparently. A pretty rich guy, apparently. He put the largest sports bet in history on the Astros winning the World Series. So I kind of just want to see what that payout looks like. And for that reason, I've been cheering for the Astros. So I'm very glad they came through. And then also, you know, I cheer for my boy Justin Verlander just because, you know, the Tigers, you know, with all the with all the suffering he had to go through on the Tigers, it seems right that he should get more championships with the Astros. And I also neglected to mention I can't possibly forget. I said that nothing else interesting happened. I was you know I was kind of thinking about the Yankees Twins that game or that series ending very prematurely. The Twins played well all season, but just not prepared for the postseason that appeared. But we also saw the Braves and Cardinals go to a Game 5, and we saw the Cardinals hang a 10-piece on the Braves in the first inning to essentially end that game before it even got started. So lots happening, and this leads us directly into the discussion going into the Dodgers series. Dodgers-Nationals, everybody saw it. It's on national television, and everybody saw what might have been the greatest crumble by an elite pitcher that we have ever seen, Clayton Kershaw, giving up two home runs to tie the game. They were up 3-1 to one in the eighth. Dave Roberts, their manager, putting in Clayton Kershaw. They, I believe they brought him out there in the seventh inning. He only pitched four pitches, got through one batter, so only pitched third of an inning, went out there and immediately went out there for the eighth inning and immediately got touched up for two home runs. And we saw him sitting on the bench looking completely distraught. Is this just the most odd thing you've ever seen where an elite player just cannot seem to get it done when it matters the most? Because I've never seen anything to this magnitude where it's so consistent that is actually unbelievable. And I have a stat as soon as you're done with your take that I want to lay on you and see what you think about. 
Well, I feel like this would be me as, like, a professional athlete. Have you ever felt, like... So, when you were, like, a kid, you'd always watch, like, either whether it be your high school, your favorite college team, or your favorite professional team, you'd always, like, see them perform under pressure or in a big moment, and you'd just be like, wow, like, that's... How do they do that? Like, I guess when I reached that point, obviously, for us, it being high school, like, you'll just, like, expect it. But before, like, big games in high school, I would always think, like... You know, what if I just didn't perform to my level? You know, I always like had that thought. That's healthy. I mean, That's very healthy. Well, I I think it actually kind of helped me in the long run because I would, I, I didn't let it consume my thought while I was playing, but it made me determined to not act that way. So I guess in the long run it did help me. But maybe in this instance with Clay, Clayton Kershaw, it just kind of got in his head. Like it, he realized this is a big moment. It really matters, and he just kind of crumbled in that situation. I mean, it's just one of those things where it has to be mental, right? Like, right. it can't be – he obviously has the physical ability because we see him do it every single regular season, posting sub-three ERAs and doing everything else that he does, striking out batters at a high clip. And it's just not something that we see in the postseason. And the stat that I wanted to, to lay on you is that, courtesy of the Dan Lebitard show, watching them yesterday drop the same stat, Stu Gatz was all over it, we see that Clayton Kershaw, after the sixth inning in the postseason – has a career ERA of 12.77. Wow. wow. Which is absolutely incredible. That is shocking, actually. For such an elite pitcher. Yeah, a 12.77 is just not something that you see not something you see posted by an elite pitcher. And for that to happen to him in sixth inning and on in the playoffs, which is interesting because those are the innings that that's when everything is decided. Like those are the innings where you need your best pitchers to pitch their very best, and you're just not getting that out of Clayton Kershaw. I mean, he's known as like one of the best pitchers of all time, and that's definitely a knock on like you know his oh his legacy one hundred percent one hundred percent. If you can't finish when it matters the most, that's big. But I do think it is important to note that bringing in Clayton Kershaw at the end of the game kind of brings in the age old question for baseball of whether you go with your elite pitcher who's just played a game or two before, so maybe you know his arm's a little tired, or you bring in a pitcher who may not be as good, but you know is, is, more, fresh. is more fresh, is more ready. That is kind of the age-old question in baseball. Obviously, the Dodgers here went with the, uh, the more experienced pitcher route to their detriment, of course. Yeah, and this leads me to my next question. Is this partially Dave Roberts' fault? Because what he did was... And I, I have no idea if this is true. This is also a Stugatz take, which you got to be careful when you're recycling those because you have no idea what, <laughs> what kind of basis they're built on. But Stugatz suggested that Dave Roberts was perhaps trying to create a situation where Kershaw could change the narrative of his playoff career, or that he put him in a situation where he thought, okay, we have a two-run lead, we're in the eighth, we've been playing well, we're pretty much in control of this game. And now we're going to put in our best pitcher, a guy who has struggled in the playoffs in his career, and perhaps try to get him a moment of, okay, we see what he, we see what he did in this instance. Maybe it looks like he's, he's broken the curse. He does everything that he needs to do. And they win the game. They move on to the NLCS, and Clayton Kershaw is at least par- partially responsible for that success. So I'm not sure if that was at all going through Dave Roberts' head or if he was just trusting his ace. But if that was a, an inkling of a thought, that is a huge detriment on Dave Roberts and his ability to be a manager. That does seem like a lot of typical Stugat speculation. Oh, it absolutely does. I but I, I found it very interesting when I heard it because it's something that, you know, you don't think is a re- realistic possibility. But if it is, it's something that is beyond bizarre. No, if that is true, I, I mean, I don't see any reason why it would be. But that's a level of 
of care with a baseball team that is just not acceptable from a head coach or a manager or anyone in the position of power within a team. It's not your job to try to make individual players look better. It's your job to win games for your team and make your organization look good. So, I mean, that would be very concerning to me as an uh, as a uh, Dodgers fan if if that were true. Um, I just I don't buy it. I don't think that's true. But I mean, you could you could put blame on uh, on the manager for for putting uh, Kershaw in simply because you know he might not have been fresh. I guess that's a judgment call. I mean, if if Clayton Kershaw said he was ready to go, then. Obviously, you just got to assume he's ready to go at some point. But the Dodgers are a huge analytic franchise, and it seems to me that Clayton, putting Clayton Kershaw in in the eighth inning or the seventh end of the seventh inning going into the eighth inning, it seems to me like by the numbers, that is just not the proper analytical move to make. So it's a bit bizarre to me that they made the move in the first place, and I'm I'm not totally sold that it was all, you know, it was all in the best interest of the team. Yeah, that is a little interesting. Is jogging in from the bullpen in the seventh or eighth inning of a playoff game with a two run lead? Is that Clayton Kershaw's worst nightmare? Does, might, does I mean, he have? Does he have? I mean, does he have nights of sleep that are just torn apart by these types of nightmares? Because I can totally see it. I, I mean, I would be terrified after all this. Like it's with each added, you know, mistake that he makes year in and year out. You've got to think that it just adds more to that, you know, mental laps that he's having week in and week out and on the flip side of this we saw the Dodgers collapse but we saw the Astros survive a game five uh, moving on to the ALCS beating beating the Tampa Bay Rays who put up a valiant fight and we've seen I want to get this out there I think Major League Baseball's parody for everything that's said about the pace of the game and everything that's said about the home runs basically ruining baseball I think the parody in the MLB is something that is very much unmatched because we see an odds-on favorite like the Dodgers and the NLCS getting bounced immediately in the first round, and then we see the Astros getting pushed to the brink. We see the Braves and um, the Braves and Cardinals going to the fifth game. Everything that's happening right now is just—it's responsible in part because of the parity that baseball has produced, and we've seen everything that has happened throughout the postseason. We rarely see this in any other sport, in my opinion. I think it's the most ironic thing in the world because I think you're right, but I think. It's extremely ironic because the most, you know, diverse and, you know, unexpected outcomes comes from one of the most boring sports that is, you know, on television. Oh, easy on that. So I just, I mean, if this parody was to come from, you know, football or basketball or like really any other venue, it'd be much better. I mean, baseball, I guess, is probably the fourth or fifth best sport to watch. You know, you go, you go football, you go basketball. Maybe hockey, golf, and then a nice game of baseball. Well, I think if you were to rank the major sports leagues based on their parity, I think you'd put probably the NHL at number one, MLB being a close second. That's terrible. Like- NFL being a third, and the NBA being the fourth, because you can pretty much tell. You know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. The NBA is dictated by a few players, which makes it very easy to predict. But yeah, the MLB is right up there, and that's... That's part of the thing that's keeping them afloat is that a lot of teams think they have a chance at the beginning of the year unless you're the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, go Tigers, baby. And we've seen a lot of sports shows being talking about these same headlines that we're talking about right now, but maybe maybe the worst headline I've ever seen was on Pardon the Interruption the other day on ESPN. It, it might have been the funniest thing that I've seen because it's simply read on the ticker, should the Astros be concerned tonight? 
and this was when they were playing the Tampa Bay Rays in Game 5, an elimination game in the MLB postseason. You played 162 regular season games to get there, and now you're in an elimination game in the first round of the playoffs when you're the favorite in the American League, and they're asking, do you think this is a big deal to them? Do you think this is something that they should be concerned about? Are you actually kidding me? That's like, breaking news headlines. Yeah, that is the worst. That's the worst headline I've ever seen, and it's ridiculous <laughs> to think that it could even potentially not be a big deal to them. It's absurd. Yeah. Mike um, Wilbon and Tony, Tony Kornheiser, you got to do better than that, my man. I mean, they should probably put us on the show at that point. We'd come up with way better content. Oh, than that? Anybody could come up with better content than that. I mean, October is absolutely elite, and they're using that as their headline. It's ridiculous. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm embarrassed for them. Switching gears, we're getting away from baseball more into your forte. A lot of the, a big sport, football. You're a football guy, and you love to talk about football. Let's talk about it. The Browns are actually terrible. I've come to that conclusion. They had a bunch of preseason hype, and they're just not living up to it whatsoever. And you have a lot of things on the on the show sheet right now. Is Baker Mayfield to blame? Is OBJ getting traded? Is Freddie Kitchens in over his head? And I'm going to let you answer a few of these right off the top because I have my opinions that I want to voice as soon as you're done. I definitely um, was not aboard the hype train of the Browns this offseason. I thought that they had the potential. So I wasn't on either end of the spectrum. I wasn't willing to write the Browns off as overrated just because everyone was hyping them up. But I was also telling people to pump the brakes a little bit. Let's see what the, the Browns are actually you know, able to put out there. And I'm still at this point in the season not willing to totally give up on the Browns. I think that they have the talent. And Freddie Kitchen showed last year that he at least is able to produce good uh, good coaching games, but he's kind of looked pathetic thus far as a coach. I mean, it just hasn't worked out. And then, yeah, you do have to ask the question, is this Mayfield's fault? Is, is he looking flustered in the pocket like a lot of people have been talking about? So, I mean... I guess we're going to see in coming weeks, you know, as the Browns face this adversity, which, you know, Browns fans and Browns players alike are used to. They are used to losing all this time. We're going to see how they respond to this. We're going to see if Baker Mayfield truly is that Brett Favre type of quarterback that everyone's hyping him up to be, or if he's just another bust in the long lineage of, you know, terrible Cleveland quarterbacks. Yeah, so here's the thing. I want to start with OBJ being traded. You're not going to trade him. You're not going to jump ship on him just yet. It's still very early in the season. But do you, do you listen to trade offers? I think I'd always listen to trade offers to about pretty much anybody. So OBJ's not off that train. But I don't think I would trade him for just anything yet. They He's an elite receiver, an elite playmaker, despite what Greg Williams says for the Jets. But he's one of those guys that when the season goes sideways, we've seen he has a bit of a history to go off the rails. And if this Brown season starts going sideways, is that something we're going to see? Because I'm not, I'm not totally sold that he's a changed man yet. So that's still yet to be determined. But as of now, no, I'm not trading Odell Beckham Jr. I'm not even giving up on this season yet because the AFC North is still wide open. Lots of stuff can happen. And going into the Baker Mayfield thing, I think everybody kind of crowned him as the guy last season. He was right behind Patrick Mahomes, of course. Myself included, honestly. I'll yeah, everybody that. crowned him. I was on the hype train. Not for the Browns, but just for Baker Mayfield. And we've seen him go into that sophomore slump. He's digressed a little bit, which is it's to be expected, to be honest. And it's something that he's either going to work through or this is going to be what he is. We don't want him to be an Andy Dalton-type quarterback where he's going to be you know, perfectly average in the guy that's kind of holding the Browns back. So 
We're either going to see him fight through this, take a step forward, which I, I would bet that he will because he's that type of guy. But on the flip side, if he fails to take that next step forward, now the Browns are stuck with you know an undersized, loudmouth quarterback that they're going to have to deal with for the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it really goes back to back to the OBJ thing. It really goes back to uh, what the the fact that he hasn't uh, he hasn't displayed that that level of you know dramatic flair that we've seen from him in years past. When you know that's when people start to get really concerned about him, he hasn't shown that, and still there are trade rumors that are coming up, which is kind of what concerns me about the Browns as a whole. If you're talking about trading a star player away, you're talking about you know all these things with Baker Mayfield, the problems that he's going through, and it's really not any problem with any individual player acting out. It's not like there's dramatic theatrics going on within the the Browns locker room at least from the outside, it really just seems like they can't put it all together. I think everything that's happened on the field has kind of related back to Freddie Kitchens going back to that point because you can have a you can't possibly have a team with that much talent and jury's still out on whether or not Baker Mayfield's the guy, like we just said, but you can't have a team with that much talent and be this underwhelming going into a season if you're a good coach. Like it just, that just cannot happen. And Freddie Kitchens is a rookie head coach. He's a guy that's still trying to find his way, so I'm gonna give him a little bit more time but if this is the end product, this is just not going to cut it for Not him. at all. I mean, they're for all the hype that they have, if they don't at least make the playoffs, it's a disappointing season. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's completely ridiculous. And we've seen – I know we've talked a lot about the NFC North. I want to transition into that a little bit. And the Vikings, we've talked about Kirk Cousins. I've voiced my opinion on that, I believe, in our last show – and you have on the show sheet here, if the Vikings had any semblance of a real quarterback, would they be elite? And are all of Diggs' troubles, Stephon Diggs, that referring to that? Of course. Yeah, is, are all his troubles, is, are they because of Kirk Cousins and the way that he's playing, or the way that he's not playing, rather? Yeah, I mean, I really, I truly believe I have the Vikings defense and special teams on my fantasy team. They're elite. It seems like they have one of the best duos of receivers in the entire uh, NFL with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. And now it looks like Dalvin Cook is coming into form. He's actually been the only reason. Yeah, exactly. What are they missing? Like, what could they possibly want more of? Right. He's the only reason their offense even has, like, the slightest bit of, like, ability to move. So I think the problem comes from Kirk Cousins. I mean— I don't really know how their offensive line looks, so maybe you could make an argument that that is some of the problem. But I know they have Riley Reef, and he was great when he was with the Lions, at least. So I guess we can, you know, Nate, you can go fact check it, whatever about the Vikings. Uh, yeah, we come line. we come really ill prepared when we talk about offensive <laughs> lines. Yeah, not our area of expertise, but I'll tell you what my area of expertise is. Kirk Cousins is not good, and I can tell you that for a fact. At least from what we've seen this season, he looks terrible. He just does. With all that guaranteed money, and he's going to be a guy that's going to be standing in the locker room and be just a punching bag for Adam Thielen because he's not getting the ball. Like it's just, it's one of those things where you're paying him all of that, that guaranteed money. He was supposed to be the guy that brought you over the hump. You got rid of Case Keenum, who played really well in the season that they went to the NFC Championship, and now all of this is coming crashing down because he can't throw the damn football consistently. He's just not. He is not the quarterback that they paid for or signed up for at all. I usually don't like it when players call out their own teammates, which Adam Thielen really didn't do. He kind of gave a subtle jab towards Kirk Cousins, but at this point in time, I really think it was not only 
warranted but necessary. I think Kirk Cousins needs to either, you know, light a fire under his butt or the Vikings organization needs to move on from him because he's just not cutting it. They're not going to make the playoffs, let alone be a contender if he's playing like this. Oh, it's him and Trubisky fighting for the worst quarterback in the <laughs> NFC North. Like, it's 100%. And both of them were, like, highly touted guys, so. And for all the arm talent that Kirk Cousins does not have, we saw what Carson Palmer said about Matthew Stafford this weekend, talking about... Amen. Yeah, following the, if you saw the Bleacher Report video, kind of poking fun at the Lions, making fun of Matthew Stafford, everything that they did, Carson Palmer going on, I believe it was the CBS Sports Network, on the radio saying that Matthew Stafford is the best quarterback that nobody ever talks about, and it's all because he basically plays for the Lions, which I 100% agree with. He said that his arm, he has better arm talent than 95% of the guys in the league. He's you know smarter, more mobile than people give him credit for, and he is an elite quarterback that nobody ever gives credit to because of the team that he plays for and the organization that he plays for, and that is big facts. I would 100% agree with that. Stafford might be the most underrated player that, of this generation, to be honest with you. I think so. I think he's the most underrated player of all time. I mean, Ooh. You, you look at the list, you've got guys, what, like Marvin Harrison, I guess you could put on there. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, though. Yeah, but he's he's underrated. I mean, Stafford's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. Hopefully, he better. I mean, he threw for 5,000 yards in this season, which there's very a very short list of guys who've done that. Exactly. Would you put Dennis Rodman on that list, maybe? Of underrated? No, I think he's properly rated. Okay. Kurt, Kurt Warner? Yeah, probably, but he also he's a Hall of Famer, so right. he's, he's, got his, he's got his due diligence. That's what I'm saying. Like, Matthew Stafford, in a lot of people's eyes, is a fringe Hall of Famer. Like, he might not even be a Hall of Famer in no, a lot of people's eyes. No, I don't eyes. think I, – I would, I would be willing to bet that if you go out and just randomly survey people, there's going to be a very, very, very slim amount of people who say that he's a Hall of Famer. And, and honestly, that just has to do with the, facts that, the fact that the Lions have been bad. Like, if you look at his seasons, even when the Lions are dog meat, this man is putting up ridiculous numbers, and you have to take into consideration that he's doing this with no running game whatsoever. The Lions went through a stretch from 2013 until last season where they did not have a 100-yard rusher in a single game. That is absurd. And you could argue that, oh, Matthew Stafford has big numbers because he's throwing the ball all the time, but that doesn't make sense. You need a run game to set up the pass. If you are only one-dimensional in the NFL, nothing works. And Matthew Stafford was still top five pretty consistently throughout his career in passing yards and completion percentage, and he's doing this with absolute garbage around him. So, I, I mean, he clearly seems to me like one of the most underrated players ever. I mean, he's, a dur- he's durable, he's loyal, and he's a fantastic player. He's everything that you'd look for in a franchise quarterback, and he's got the arm talent to match it. I think that yeah, yeah, like if, he played, yeah, if he played for any other organization, I mean, if you look at the Chiefs and the Patriots even, if he played for one of those organizations in place of a Pat Mahomes or a Tom Brady, he would be you know, winning Super Bowls on the reg and doing what he does. Not yet. Like you said, durable. This man, not only did he do all of this, he was almost always injured. Like, he almost always had something going on that he just kind of kept quiet. He'd sometimes have surgery at the end of the year because it was so serious, but he fought through it and he played admirably. And like we were talking about earlier this week, Matthew Stafford was Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes was with his play style. Oh, his, yeah, his arm, the arm slots through which he threw, the arm talent, the strength, everything that he's done. He was Patrick Mahomes, but he's not as flashy, and he doesn't play for an organization like the Kansas City Chiefs with a coach like Andy Reid, so he's not going to get that kind of love. There's 
I, I don't think I can recall a time where Matthew, Matthew Stafford got like me, big like news stopping media I don't, attention. He never has. No, I don't. Because the lines have never been relevant. I mean, maybe I've heard him being mentioned on like the scrolling list of games that have been happening in, on like Sports Center, but I've never seen like a segment devoted to Matthew Stafford on any sports media outlet ever. And he deserves that. Like, the guy's elite. And he'll tell you that he doesn't care about it. And he probably doesn't because he's such a great guy and, you know, the type of quarterback that you want for your team. But give this guy some love because he is a top five quarterback in the NFL right now, I would say, and the under, most underrated player of all time. I mean, he's real, he's looked really good. The Lions have looked really good. But on that note, I refuse to get my hopes up about the Lions. That's factual. I, I saw... I, they almost beat the Kansas City Chiefs. They tied the Arizona Cardinals in Week 1, which drives me absolutely insane. But outside of that, they beat the Chargers. They beat the Eagles. They have a huge, huge, huge tilt this Monday night against the Green Bay Packers, which needs to be a win. I'm telling you right now, that is a must-win game this early in the season. You don't get those kind of games. This is a must-win game because they follow it up playing the Vikings. If they can win these next two games, they are in fantastic shape. But like I said, I refuse to get my hopes up because I've been down this road one too many times. Nothing makes me more excited than when the Lions beat the Packers. It's a glorious time when that happens. Oh, it absolutely is. And while I said I don't want to get my hopes up with the Lions, you know who I am getting my hopes up for? Do tell. Our IM flag football team. Oh, yeah, baby. We ran our opponents this weekend, this past week, actually, this Wednesday. This is the part of the podcast that you guys really want to We hear absolutely about. dominated, and we are going up against a very formidable opponent next week. This was a bit of a tune-up game. We have an opponent that beat their their whatever first week matchup, fifty-four to nothing. So we are going to we're going to be in the lab. We're drawing up some plays, organizing some coverages. We're going to do whatever we got to do to win this game because we are winning this league this year. I'm telling you, telling you right now, book it. All the only thing we need to know is we have to play like dogs. Let it all hang out, have some gumption, and That's right. the rest will take care of itself. That's absolutely correct. Couldn't have said it better myself. Segment two coming up. This is the Trial Run Podcast. Segment two, and you know what that means? We're going to lead it off with Brennan's favorite segment, This Week in History. I'll let you take it away. All righty. This Week in History in 1975, our great and respected President Bill Clinton, not at the time, of course, marries Hillary Rodham Clinton, creating the beginnings of the biggest laughingstock duo in political history. So that is This Week in History. Thank you, everyone, and don't come to my DMs about this one. Wow, you found uh, you found all that written on the internet? Yeah, that was all right there. It was yeah. right, right on Politico, you know. Yeah, that wasn't, none of that was your own, <laughs> none of that was your own opinion? None of that was scripted. It was straight facts. I only give the facts. All right. Very good by you. Excellent work. You know, speaking of corrupt organizations, let's talk about the NCAA. Wow, that was an excellent transition. That's that's world-class maybe, stuff. Maybe the best yet. That's world-class stuff. Uh, our own Central Michigan University football program was a bit blindsided this week when our starting quarterback, our, our second-string quarterback at the beginning of the year, now starting quarterback following a Quentin Dormady injury, David Moore was suspended for use of an illegal substance of some kind, only illegal by NCAA standards, of course. This could have been a protein powder. It could have been some sort of nutritional supplement. And it's uh, it's something that is completely ridiculous and not worthy of having a 365-day penalty. But regardless, David Moore suspended for the entire year for using a nutritional supplement that was unapproved by the NCAA. That's just that's a slow clap. Slow clap for you, NCAA. That's fantastic work by you guys. Congratulations. You busted a mid-major quarterback for using a 
potentially, maybe, we don't even know, maybe a questionable substance of some kind, probably like a protein powder, probably something that was prescribed to him by somebody, and now he has to set out an entire year. That is great work by you guys. Fantastic. You can see why the, the players love the NCAA. So. Oh, I see why everybody loves the as much respect for the NCAA. And it always happens to like the best guys, too. Like David Moore. This oh, was, he's a great kid. This was his time to shine. He was finally getting a chance to show himself. You know, He wasn't even the starter at the beginning of the year, and then he took over the job when Dormany went down with the injury. He's played awesome. Central finally has life after a horrible season. And now we get hit with this, which you knew you just love to see from the NCAA. It's really good. Oh, this is Will Greer part two. Apparently this stuff follows Jim McElwain because this is the same exact violation that hit Will Greer at Florida, which eventually forced him to transfer to West Virginia, where he had a very successful career. I'm hoping we don't lose David Moore because I really have a lot of respect for him. And I hope that when he comes back next season, he continues to do this kind of stuff that he's been doing around here just this season, being a leader, being a great quarterback. But this is just absolutely ridiculous, and the NCAA drives me insane with this kind of stuff. They're actively trying to hold our boys back. They are. They see our boys on the rise, and they don't want nothing to do with it, so they are trying to hold us back in any way possible. Oh, and for the record, for those at home, by a year suspension, we don't mean the rest of this season. We mean a full 365 days. Yes, we mean business. We mean 365 days. We mean that he will be out for the first six weeks of next season as well. So... Put that in your pipe and smoke it, and maybe write a letter to the NCAA, talk up to them about how they're corrupt and they suck and we all hate them. Yeah, so continuing this same trend of the NCAA being terrible, let's talk about Division Three Mary Harden-Baylor. Brennan, you want to tell the people what happened to Mary Harden-Baylor this week? Well, the poor sweet folks down at Mary Harden-Baylor, they won a self-respecting national championship last year and they should be very proud of their boys. 2016, actually. Uh, three years ago. My par- Pardon my take. Um, but... None of that's neither here nor there. What really is important is the fact that their beautiful national championship, of which they should be so proud, got taken away from them this past week because two of their players rode in the car of their coach. And that, of course, is an inexcusable offense for which the title must be vacated. Yeah, you want to tell me what kind of car it was again? Because this, I think this is the best part that needs to be shared with the people. It was actually the luxury automobile known as a Subaru. And what year was that for the people? I believe it was um, 2006. So, you know, right up there with the elite cars like Lamborghinis and Ferraris and those types. Yeah, and I'm just going to reemphasize really quick which organization took that national championship away from Mary Harden Baylor. That would be the grand, beautiful, perfect NCAA. That's exactly what they are. Another slow clap for you, NCAA. Fantastic work. You've done it. You've done it. You've done it. You've you've done it. You've saved us. Congratulations. (laughs) Outside of that, now we got that off our chest. We said what we needed to say about the NCAA being corrupt. That should be a weekly segment. I I very much enjoy doing that. I'm sure we could find something each week that was ridiculous like that. We saw something happen in Happy Valley this past week with Penn State. For all of you who don't know, essentially... A hot-button issue. A hot-button issue. An older, presumably white alumni (laughs) sent in a a very stern letter to one of the players at Penn State right now, basically condemning him for having dreadlocks. I'll get some quotes for you in just a second. But this might be the most tone deaf note, letter, whatever, directed at a player that I've ever seen in the history of college athletics. I'm going to let you filibuster while I pull up these quotes because they are actually laughably funny. You know, the thing about this is both sides want to make this... Well, okay, it is a huge deal. It's a very huge deal. I know for a fact, 
I can't say that. I am fairly confident that the man who wrote this letter truly didn't mean it as a racist remark, but the fact stands that it was. It was not acceptable. Even if it wasn't racist, it was extremely rude because the man who writes to this Penn State player with dreadlocks says that his hair is quote-unquote disgusting, if you could provide more for us. He calls it disgusting. He calls it unattractive. He calls it awful hair. He says that back in his day, they used to be clean-cut gentlemen. We congratulate you on your win against Pitt. We would welcome the reappearance of a dress code for athletes. <laughs> we will certainly see you on see you playing on Sunday in the future, but we have stopped watching the NFL due to the disgusting tattoos, no. awful hair, and immature antics in the end zone. Players should act as though they've been there before. So at best for this guy who wrote the letter, at best, it's just an extremely rude letter, and he should have absolutely nothing to do with what this guy wears, what this guy looks like. As long as Penn State's okay with it, this guy needs to just get off his high horse as far as I'm concerned. But at worst, which you can definitely make an argument for, the comments of this guy are kind of racist because while it does seem that this letter writer is just talking about, you know, wanting a clean, shaven look. Well, what he means is white. What he, he means is right. white. Right. Yes. He specifically is targeting a man who's wearing who has dreadlocks, which is, you know, exclusively for the most part associated <laughs> with people who are black. I'm not so trying to spit it out. Well, you know, I'm trying to be very sensitive and delicate here because, you know, it is a hot button issue. So, you know, it's just not a good look regardless of the way that it was presented, and it's just totally out of line by this guy. I don't think there's any question about that. So, yeah. It's, but, I, mean, you know, I will say, though, the Penn State player who this was uh, associated with responded to it really well. Yeah, he, I saw that. He, he gave out a nice statement about it on Instagram. He said that you know it's, re- it's not acceptable what this guy said, but that he doesn't hold it against the guy himself because he doesn't even know the guy. I don't think the guy probably knows any better, to be honest with you. Right. He said he forgives the guy and all of that. So it was actually a really mature and excellent response, I thought, by the Penn State player. Yeah, and it's just one of those things. This kind of relates back to the old person yelling at a cloud in The Simpsons. Yeah. Or it's just, <laughs> no. something, it's just something to get fired up about for this guy who obviously, you know, choosing to not watch the NFL anymore because of touchdown dances and tattoos. I mean, that seems a little bit extreme to me, so... This guy clearly has a history of choosing to pick battles over nothing. But, but like, honestly, like, do you have literally nothing better? Do to you do? have nothing better to do than sit at your house and write a scathing, a scathing letter to one particular Penn State player because of his hair? Like, come on, dude. It's the old saying: if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I think this kind of applies in this situation. You could have said the same thing to Jalen Hurts about what he said about the Red River rivalry. Do you see that? Oh, I did see that. Another excellent transition. Jalen Hurts saying that nothing that the Red River rivalry brings could possibly compare to the Iron Bowl. I'm paraphrasing, of course. He essentially just said that he's not going to be overwhelmed by the Red River showdown, I think it's called now, because of the fact that he's played in the Alabama-Auburn Iron Bowl before. So what do you make of these comments? Because I know Texas, Texas folks got pretty fired up about this, saying that you know this rivalry means a lot more. So... What do you have to say? Because I don't particularly think this is a very interesting topic to talk about because no. I think it's just it's pretty silly. It is what it is. I mean, it's just like banter between, you know, players. I honestly though, 
Texas fans are out, are outraged about this. I kind of wonder what the reaction from Oklahoma fans and Oklahoma players is. Yeah, because kind of, that's kind of a dig to his own team if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, is he kind of saying like, oh, like Alabama, Auburn, you know, football means a little bit more there, kind of a bigger deal, better program, all that stuff. All right, if I was an Oklahoma fan, I really don't know how I'd feel about it. I mean, actually, I do. I would be like, I don't really care. This guy's elite, and he's winning us games, so I don't give. He can say whatever the hell he wants as long as it's not unacceptable. So, but you do you do have to kind of think about it. I mean, he's kind of digging at his own team a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's getting there. He's kind of, you know, he's doing what he's got to do. He's saying what he's got to say. And when he's saying things like that, Oklahoma, you know, if you want to get fired up, go ahead. I know Texas is already fired up, but me personally, let it go. Like, it's not a big deal at all. I think, though, it kind of is a scientific fact if you look back through the years that if you say something before a game, you automatically are the team that loses. I think that's a scientific fact. Well, I mean... I mean, think about it. Ever, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not seeing any numbers roll across our, our desk here saying that. So <laughs> the the teams that always or like the players from the teams that always you know have something to say always are the loud mouths. It just seems that more often than not, they're the teams that lose. Jalen Hurts is anything but a loud mouth. That is true, but I don't know. This these comments just they seemed interesting to me. Time now for our obligatory University of Michigan talk with your boy Brennan Bevins. They beat Iowa in perhaps the ugliest game in football history. It easily set college football back 200 years. Everything about speed and space, you know, lots of yards, big points. A 10-3 game was the final score, so Michigan beats Iowa. They did what they have to do. They moved it to 16 in the rankings this week. Was this a big game, and are they on the right track? Because this is something that... Despite winning, I really don't see that much of an improvement. So this has been my sentiment for actually quite a while with Michigan football. I think it was a terrible game, and I'm you know disappointed with Michigan, but it is not the media's job and the outside world's job to be harsh on Michigan. It's my job to be harsh on Michigan as a Michigan fan. Look, they beat the number 14 team in the nation. They didn't look great doing it, and that can be, obviously, as I said, Michigan's fans' job to evaluate, but... People this entire week have been talking about how horrible Michigan looks, which they don't look great, but they beat the number 14 team in the nation. So give them some props for that. At, at best, or I'm sorry, at worst, say nothing at all about them. Just say it was a game that Michigan won. People are actively, it seems like the media is actively rooting against Michigan at this point. It definitely seems like the rest of the nation is too. I mean, it's fair to do when they're not even the best team in their own state. So what? There's a lot of teams that aren't the best team in their own state. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Time out on the play. <laughs> Who is the best team in the state then? You see the next note on the play sheet. You care to read that for me? The chips are rolling. <laughs> Central Michigan University. We are on track, baby. We'll play Michigan anytime, any place, anywhere. Do it right now. I dare you. Jim Harbaugh, you don't want to schedule your boy Jimmy Mack. Jimmy Mack, honestly, that would be quite a matchup. Man, I almost snuck that past you. That was so <laughs> close. That was so close. I thought I was going to slide that one past you. We're going to wrap up the show the same way we do every week with your Who's Your Daddy of the Week. Do you even have one written down? Oh, I got do, one. do you have one in your own head? I do. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. I'd love you to go first. All right, fine. Postseason. This is so cliche, so basic. This is not an original take, but it has to be said anyway because we just saw it happen. The postseason is Clayton Kershaw's daddy. You know, no explanation needed because we have plenty of evidence already to prove this. My daddy of the week is a 2006 Subaru over NCAA football players' hopes and dreams. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, you could also just put the NCAA over their own athletes' hopes and dreams. We saw what, what Todd Gurley wore on his shirt, whatever it said, NCAA not caring about athletes or something like that. So, you know, the NCAA, corrupt. That's how I want to end the show just right there by putting the NCAA on blast just one last time because i got to get as many digs as I can um, in in the most short amount of time. Understandable. We apologize for the technical difficulties last week. Hopefully we'll be back. Never will happen again. Never will happen again. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Trial Run Podcast. We will see you then.